0: Welcome to this week's edition of Bowl Season Stories. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And each week, different guests from the world of college football join me to talk about current topics in the sport, as well as discuss what they remember most about their bowl game experiences. Today, we are joined by veteran sports journalist and BowlSeason.com staff writer Kevin McNamara, former Air Force Academy Falcon and Outland Trophy winner Chad Hennings, and Capital One Orange Bowl Executive Director Eric Palms. Today's show is brought to you by Noms Cookies. Our first guest was a sports writer for the Providence Journal for 30 years and is currently the host of the KevinMackSports.com hour on WPRO Radio in Providence. And as I said earlier, a staff writer for BowlSeason.com. He's a fellow Syracuse alum, a good friend, and not a bad golfer. Please welcome to the show, Kevin McNamara.
1: Hey, Nick, thanks very much. Uh, pleasure to be here. And boy, it's certainly college football season, big time right now.
0: It is, it is for sure. Well, thanks again for joining us. Let's let's jump right in and talk bowl projections. Uh today you put out bowlseason.com's first bowl projections for this year. Can you can you tell us a little bit about them?
1: Yeah, Nick, the goal here was to put together a thoughtful view towards what bowl matchups look like right now if the season ended today. So they're a fun way to look at all the games based on the college football playoff rankings that came out last night and and the conference ranking, uh, conference standings. So they're not a representation, you know, it's, it's kind of not a look or a representation of inside information. The main goal of the projection really is to stimulate conversation. That's what we all do here in college football.
0: People love to talk about college football. That's for sure. And that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do here. So, so our, our audience understands unlike other bold projections that, uh, may predict what might happen in the conference championship games et cetera our bowl projections are are just that they're about right now they're about today where we think uh where you think the the teams might be slotted if the season ended today
1: yeah that's that's right Nick you know e- each week we're going to build out a logical look at all of the bowls uh determining the you know prospective matchups that that could unfold at this moment in time so it's a snapshot you know, it's kind of a snapshot of bowl season right now
0: all right. Well, um, so these projections obviously uh, start today, one day after the college fo- first college football rankings came out. They're going to continue weekly leading up to bowl season's official selections on Sunday, December 5th. Uh, what else goes into determining these projections?
1: Well, like you said, the college football playoff rankings are a big part, of course. Uh, and, and certainly they lock in the first four games that people pay attention to. The first two games, the first four teams that people pay attention to um w- which makes perfect sense but from there we look at conference tie-ins and the league standings for example uh the sugar bowl is tied to the big 12 and the sec so w- we know that alabama is in the top 4 so our sugar bowl matchup features oklahoma and auburn uh auburn would be the third sec team because the first two georgia and alabama are in the two cfp games
0: okay that makes sense a lot a lot of nuances to this uh hard for the fan to keep track and hopefully we could have some some fun with this in the upcoming weeks. Um uh, right. any any projections particularly intriguing to you? I'm going to I'm going to tell you mine. Uh Syracuse Penn State in the Pinstripe Bowl. I mean that's a that's a rivalry that goes way way back when both schools were independents. They haven't played each other in a while. Uh conference alignment just doesn't allow for that. But but the idea we got a long way to go, but the idea that they could play each other in the Pinstripe Bowl, uh, that game might sell out in a day if that was announced.
1: It really would. You know, Nick, I'm from New England, so I grew up with those Eastern independents. You know, like you said, Syracuse, Penn State, uh, Pittsburgh, Boston College, West Virginia, just, just great old-time rivalries. Yankee Stadium, Syracuse and Penn State. Can I go? Uh, like you said, instant sellout. I think the media would be – Love to spend a few days in New York City as well. That that, that would be a home. Run we could we myself. could
0: probably get you a ticket even if it's sold out. So you're you're on okay. for that.
1: Great. Uh th- th- another one that's interesting to me, and I know that they could not play the game last year because of the pandemic, but uh there's the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. And I know that they'd like to be California centered. How about our matchup has Fresno State and Southern Cal. Can't get much more California than that one. Uh
0: no, you can't. Um and it's pretty amazing what we just did there, Kevin. We covered uh, coast to coast, uh, to the two biggest markets in the country. Uh, Forty-two other bowl games in between them. Uh, we kind of we kind of captured it all in, in those two games, and uh, a lot of fun talking about this. You've you've been to a number of bowl games in your life, both covering them and as a fan. Uh, this podcast is called Bowl Season Stories for a reason. Sure. Any memories from your experiences in bowl games that stand out to you?
1: Well, professionally, uh, I've I've enjoyed covering bowl games, but I I like when I went back and saw my very first bowl game, I was a fan. I was a student at Syracuse, as you mentioned earlier. And in my senior year, they go undefeated and go to the Sugar Bowl and play Auburn in New Orleans. So if you can only imagine the fun that the 21-year-old Syracuse kids had down there, my first look at Bourbon Street, first time to New Orleans, it, it was a great, great memory. We stayed, uh, how about this, Nick? We stayed at a sorority at Tulane Uh, because why wouldn't you want to stay at a sorority in new Orleans? So, you know, it's a good way to roll. We
0: we all have our bowl season stories. That that's, uh, that's, that's a little different than the ones that the former players are telling me. Uh, But that's what makes bowl season. Great. You know, you, they provide these great memories for the players, for the fans, for the host communities. Uh, you know, Holly Rose on last week and she talked about uh, going to bowl games was a family holiday tradition for her family. I, I didn't know that wow. they would follow BYU around to all their bowl games and that's where they would spend the holidays. And, and uh, those are the kind of stories we love here on, on bowl season stories.
1: Yeah. And, you know, obviously that, that was the biggest bowl game in Syracuse history for almost 35 years. I believe they played in the cotton bowl in like 1960. So, So to go to the sugar bowl, half of central New York was there and very famous ending, uh, Pat Dye, a great coach at Auburn, and uh, he, he ended up getting the nickname from Central New York of Pat Tye because they kicked a late field goal to tie it. So needless to say, very disappointing because Syracuse had kind of had legitimate national championship hopes if they were to go completely undefeated. So uh, back in 1987, it was, it was a great run.
0: And I believe the Syracuse fans flooded Coach Dye's uh, mailbox with ties shortly after that game.
1: I just want to say that was not me. I did not do that. I didn't discourage my, my fellow orange people from doing so, but uh, I did not go down that path.
0: Well, I'm guessing that's because uh, in your college days, you probably did not own a tie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I certainly didn't bring one to new Orleans.
0: (laughs) Well, Kevin, I know you're busy. Thanks so much for being on the show. We're all going to be on the lookout for those, uh, those projections coming out uh, later this afternoon. And, uh, Really appreciate your time. Thanks for for being on the show and good luck to you.
1: You're welcome. Every Wednesday, come to bowlseason.com for our weekly projections. Going to have some fun.
0: Our next guest is a former defensive tackle for the Air Force Academy Falcons and Outland Trophy winner, Chad Hennings. Chad went on to play nine years for the Dallas Cowboys, where he won three Super Bowl championships. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining
2: us. My pleasure and honor. Thank you for having me.
0: Chad, I live just outside of Annapolis, Maryland, which is a little bit enemy territory for you. I live very close to the Naval Academy, but I have a great appreciation for all the military academies. I've been to many Army-Navy games. This year, uh, I attended the Air Force-Navy game on 9-11, and that was a pretty special day. Uh, And and the the three service academies play for the Commander-in-Chief trophy. Uh, every year which which i think is is a, a tremendous uh, uh achievement to to win that series each year you uh the air, you and your air force team won it twice while you were there i understand that you got a chance to go to washington meet president reagan what was that day like and and tell us just in general what it's like to play football for one of the service academies
2: yeah, it's not your normal collegiate experience that's for sure um playing football at a service academy you know all cadets have to participate in some form of athletics whether it's intramurals or intercollegiate athletics so football at a service academy is not priority number one like it probably would be if you'd attend a power five school university you know of alabama or texas or oklahoma so playing there you as a student athlete you have to be able to do everything else that your fellow cadets do that's uh, you know, take upwards of almost 18, 19 credit hours per semester, as long as with all the military training, inspections, parades, everything else. Uh, you know, the military training that we do in the summertime, we have the opportunity to, you know, fly a Cessna, uh, Cessna 172s to fly glider aircraft, to travel to different Air Force bases and see what it's like to be on active duty. So playing football at a service Academy is, uh, was a very unique experience. And I'm, and I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do it. Now your
0: sophomore year in 1985, uh, you guys had a great year. You went to the blue bonnet bowl in Houston, Texas. Uh, you, you defeated Texas 24 to 16. That was your first, uh, bowl season experience. What were your, my,
2: my, I'll just correct you on that. My first bowl experience was the independence bowl. When we played Virginia tech there at Shreveport. In Louisiana, okay, so we got yeah, so to play. Yeah, so tell 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 us tell me
0: about both those games: Independence Bowl, Bonnet Bowl. What, what what was it like taking a trip with your with your teammates to a unique destination and, and having those uh, those Bowl Week experiences?
2: You know, for us, and again, it moves back to that Service Academy experience. We don't get off the campus that much. We're kind of sequestered throughout the whole week, and for us to be able to, you know, to, to travel in a away game, let alone experience that three plus days that you go to a bowl game and, and I'll caveat it with this, this, we're talking 30 plus years ago that this was when we didn't have as many bowl games as what they have today. So they had maybe, you know, a handful, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10 bowl games total, unlike they have today. So for us to be able to go to, Whether that was the Blue Bonnet Bowl in Houston, Texas, to just to get away from the academy, get away from academics and kind of concentrate purely on football. It was an awesome, awesome experience. And for us, we kind of felt a little envious uh, to see how their opposing team, how they interacted and get a chance to talk with them, what their quote unquote football or collegiate experience was like was totally different from what we experienced, you know, at a service academy.
0: Yeah, you mentioned there not being as many bowl games back then. So, you know, in order to go to a bowl game when you played, you had to be, you had to have a really good season. And, and that 1985 season, you guys finished 12 and one. Uh, Fisher DeBerry's second season, I think, you finished top ten in the country. Um, tell us about Coach DeBerry. Tell us about that team and and what made you guys so good.
2: You know, I think why any service academy can compete at a division one level is the aspect that you just hit the nail on the head, we are a team. We don't necessarily have the, the best athletes that are out there, but collectively together with the game plan that the coaches put together, we we can compete and we typically compete against individuals that you know, are bigger, faster, stronger than what we were. Coach DeBerry being his second year, you know, on that particular team, that 1985 team, we, if we would have beat BYU, and for we end up being co conference champs, but if we'd have won that game and, and ran the table, we would have been playing Penn State for the national championship. That's how close we were. And I think that tells you how special that team was back in the day for have a service academy where you have a total student body of under 44, 4,500 cadets to be able to compete for a national championship. I mean, that says something special. And on that team, myself, uh, Scott Thomas, and Coach DeBerry are all now Hall of Famers in the College Football Hall of Fame. But it was one of those things. Offense, defense, special teams, it was a well-oiled machine. Yeah, we'd had some good athletes, but to collectively together, we, we were a well-oiled machine.
0: Your senior year, you guys were 9-3, and three. another great season. But for you personally, uh, you obviously had a tremendous year. You won the Outland Trophy. Um, you guys won the commander in chief trophy that year, uh, and you went to the freedom bowl in Anaheim, California to cap off your career. I I believe that was, that was your last college football game. And for most of your senior teammates, uh, was the last football game they ever played, which is, which is something pretty special. I think people don't appreciate about that bowl game experience for a lot of people. It gives them that one last opportunity, but let's pry a little deeper into that bowl week experience you know you mentioned earlier interacting with the other team and and being able to be off off base a little bit but tell us about those those that three four day trip any stories anything that happened on or off the field that that made any of those bowl games a little bit more memorable for you
2: you know it's um you're putting me on the spot here nick you know as you know i i I've been hitting the head so many times. I can't remember what I did yesterday, (laughs) let alone 30 plus years ago. You
0: you probably have some stories that you don't just can't share. So you got to always have
2: those, but it's, (laughs) but, but, you know, what we look at, what was so special for us is you get uh, all the the swag that you get from going to the bowl games, you get, you know, sweatsuits, you get athletic apparel, you get, you know, the bull ring, the bull watch, um all those things that I still have today and I've given to my father my father still wears you know the the bowl watch to this day and you know as far as experiences going out to anaheim you know going to you know Knott's Berry farm to uh just the different sightseeing places that we did and being from a service academy too we always had a large military contingent that um we would go visit if there was a base in the local area we would do uh visits to that base and it was always great to see you know and to appreciate and to honor the men and women that served that served active duty back then um to thank them for their service and because that's again back to the service academies all three teams we don't really have a sp- being a national recognized team i think we're all like the dallas cowboys all america's teams that everybody no matter where you're from you can root for an Air Force, you can root for an Annapolis, you can root for a West Point, because they take football players from all over the country, and you know those bowl experiences, you know, again, they're second to none.
0: Yep, yeah, so so true. Uh, Air Force is three and one in their last four bowl games. I know you follow the program closely. Uh, they're having a good year. They're six and two this year, so they've punched their ticket to bowl season. Uh, what are your thoughts on this year's team?
2: Yeah, I'm cautiously optimistic cautiously optimistic. They, um, you know, for us at the service academies, they don't necessarily have the depth in talent that a lot of other schools have just because of the recruiting, the numbers, but um, if they can stay healthy, we've got a phenomenal offense and the defense has been competent that, you know, we've already qualified, you know, we're bowl eligible. So whether that means we're going to, you know, back to Fort worth, for the Armed Forces Bowl, I'm not sure who's up for that one this year, but uh, it, I hope they come to Texas because it's a great recruiting opportunity just to be able to recruit kids out of the great state of Texas and um, always keep us one up on West Point Point, Annapolis just in that area alone.
0: And that would certainly give you an opportunity to, to not travel too far and to see them. Uh, exactly. Yeah, speak- all, for
2: selfish reasons, for myself.
0: Yeah, that's okay. You're, you're allowed that. Uh, but speaking of that, the, you know, while it's not a bowl game, uh, the commander's classic between Air Force and Army is being played in, in Arlington, Texas this weekend, uh, home of the Texas Rangers. I know this is uh, such an impressive facility, and it's. Uh, I'm sure you're really looking forward to it. I'm sure you're going to be there. Um, and uh, a victory by Air Force would uh, earn them the commander-in-chief trophy uh, again this year. Uh, are you looking forward to that game?
2: Most definitely. We like it as bragging rights with our inter-service rivalry with brothers. And, you know, to describe that rivalry, it's like sibling rivalry. You know, you compete, you get after it, you you knock down bloody each other's nose. But, you know, old Texas phrase, Katie, bar the door. If somebody comes against the family, it's all brothers, all hands on deck, using the Navy term to get after it. But we've got side bets going with my buddies from West Point that, that played football there. It's going to be a phenomenal event. And it's the first game played at Globe Life Field. And the reason why they're doing this is to elevate the game. You know, that Air Force Army rivalry and competition because of the three service academies. Air Force is number one with the number of commander chiefs trophies one. I believe West Point is number two, and Annapolis is number three in that regard. So we want to keep that number one position. So we're gonna we're gonna win the game and uh win that first commander's classic trophy.
0: That 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 was gonna be my last question, Chad. I just picked up on something. You You call the other two service academies West Point and Annapolis uh, and not their name. Is that, is that intentional? Is that a little brotherly uh, ribbing? there? As as far
2: as the Knights of the Goats are, as opposed (laughs) to the Falcons, you know, they, they've got these squirrely mascots, you know, who (laughs) likes a goat and who likes a a donkey, you know, an an ass, right? So we got, we got the cool mascot, a, a Falcon, you know, a peregrine Falcon, something that goes high speed. It's, very masculine. And uh, so we got bragging rights that way.
0: I I get it. I get it. Well, Chad, we've taken up enough of your time. Uh, uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Good luck to you. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short break and be right back with Capital One Orange Bowl executive director, Eric Palms. Stay with us.
2: The first goal of every college football team at the beginning of the season is to win six games and qualify for a bowl game. They've punched their ticket and now are officially bowl bound. We're very excited to announce a new tradition with official bowl season gear given out in the locker room moments after winning that sixth game. T-shirts that celebrate the achievement. Fans can join the celebration by going online to bowlseason.com where they can order their own bowl bound T-shirt. Bowl season is a celebration of college football. So celebrate with your team when they become bowl eligible.
0: Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is in his 28th year with the Orange Bowl committee. He spearheaded its inclusion in the new college football playoff that began in 2014-15, which includes hosting eight traditional Capital One Orange Bowl games featuring the ACC champion versus a top-rated team from the Big Ten, SEC, or Notre Dame, and four semifinals in a 12-year period all over the New Year's holiday weekend. The executive director of the Capital One Orange Bowl, and really one of the best guys in college sports that you'll ever meet Eric Palms Eric welcome to the show
3: you're one of the great guys (laughs) thank you for the opportunity
0: Eric you guys had a great Orange Bowl last year Texas A&M won a back and forth game with North Carolina in fact the last several years have been great games I I know teams really get excited uh, to come to Miami and play in the Orange Bowl talk about the history and tradition of your game and why it's such a special event each year
3: yeah, listen, uh, there's so many great bowl games across the country. We're proud of what we've created here in South Florida. It goes back 88 years to 1935. Our current president, Jack Siler, who you know very well, his grandfather, Ernie Siler was really the founding father of the bowl game. And the great thing about here at the Orange Bowl, I'm, I'm guessing the same thing with the Rose and the Sugar and Cotton and a lot of the historic bowl games, Sun Bowl is our mission statement hasn't changed. It really hasn't in 88 years. And, um, you know, it's about bringing economic development to the area. It's about bringing, you know, a great annual series of events culminating with the bowl game to the residents of South Florida. And uh, by virtue of the success of the bowl game, doing great things in the community. So, you know, we're we're proud of it. Uh, One of the great things I've observed, I grew up in Miami, but I live in Weston now. And this is a South Florida event. It's a regional event, and uh, it's really evolved the organization, the event, with the growth of South Florida. So uh, it's just a special place. No one owns the bowl, the bowl game. It's different than any other any other event that you see in South Florida. Uh, it's it's owned by the community. So we're proud of that, and we look forward to continuing a great tradition. And as you mentioned, uh, it was a lot of fun last year to have. The bowl game itself, it was such trying times with COVID and to be able to get through the regular season and the bowl game took place and to have North Carolina for the first time ever in our bowl game. And I think it was the first time in 71 so odd years for Texas A&M to come back to the Orange Bowl. Uh, The Capital One Orange Bowl game was, uh, you know, different, but it was spectacular in its own way. And you were there. I remember spending some good time with you.
0: Eric, what are your what are some of your favorite Orange Bowl moments? Maybe not a play on the field necessarily. I mean, everybody turns the TV on around around New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and they watch your game. But the, the, at that point, the teams have been in town for for five six days, and they've had so many events, so many times together over the years. I'm sure you you've seen a lot of things and have a lot of great memories of the the fun experiences that the teams have had while at your game. Talk to us about, about some of your favorite
3: memories. I've been here a long time. So there's a lot of memories. Um, you know, there's, there's a few that, that stand out. I mean, about three years ago we had our last semifinal game and Oklahoma was here playing Alabama. And as you know, with the history of the orange bowl and the big eight old big eight conference, Oklahoma has been here so many times. Uh, when the Big Eight became the Big 12, the the alignment changed. But inevitably, in the four times we hosted hosted national championships in the BCS era, we had Oklahoma the first three times. And the last time they got knocked out by by Notre Dame at the last second, end of the the season. And then we get into the CFP era and we're we're in our, our third opportunity, but the first two we've had Oklahoma. There's something about Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. It's in the, I tell Joe Castiglione all the time. I don't know what it is, it's divine intervention. And so they came down three years ago, Joe asked if I would say a few words to the team. And it was unbelievable because they were here right before Christmas and you had the whole team in there and and the coaches and the administrators, including Joe. And just to talk about that history of 21 times they've been in the Orange Bowl and this is the latest iteration it just had profound meaning for me. I grew up in Miami. I went to so many Oklahoma games, and to be standing there in this job, talking to the Oklahoma football team, was pretty cool for me. So that jumps out. Another quick story is uh, we do legacy gifts here, which are projects we partner with government, and we go into you know areas that that really need renovations, uh, you know areas of great need, and we're in Bell Glade. And we built this beautiful field out there and they were doing a Super Bowl clinic and they invited the Orange Bowl to be part of it. It was Orange Bowl Field at Glaze Pioneer Park and Santonio Holmes came. And we were talking to him before and he pointed to the corner of our field and he goes, you see that corner there? And he said, that's where I caught my first touchdown pass ever. And for us, you know, having done this this, uh, community investment, it resonated that not only is it giving back to the community as we should do to have a student athlete from Ohio state that went on to catch probably the greatest, one of the greatest passes in Super Bowl history say that just brings meaning to what we're doing each and every day. So those are two things that jump out.
0: Wow. What what an amazing story that is. I I hadn't heard that one before. I mean, you, uh, uh, you mentioned the community involvement, uh, in that story, you mentioned it earlier too. Um, and you mentioned that the Orange Bowl is really, a, it's not just a Miami event, it's a South Florida uh, event. Uh, y- your four pillars of community outreach uh, include youth sports fundraising and community events, academic programs and scholarships, and legacy gifts. Tell us more about what Orange Bowl does in the community of South Florida.
3: Yeah, listen, I observe what's going on across the bowl landscape, and I think we're all very proud of that. Uh, down here in South Florida, you know, we've centered on youth and sports, and so that touches, you know, a big investment in youth football and cheerleading. We have a a program called the Orange Bowl Youth Football Alliance, which has, I think, uh, 11 leagues that are under our umbrella. We don't run the leagues, but we help fund, we help produce events, we help market uh, what they're doing because they are the future. A lot of the kids in South Florida, as you know, it's a pretty good Recruiting base for college football, play college football, go on to the NFL. And we just feel that we should invest in that because that helps do what we do each and every year here at the Orange Bowl. Uh, We have a leadership academy that's in the middle school programs with really impactful ages of sixth, seventh, eighth graders. Uh, We do fundraising to do more and more that we can put back in the community. Uh, We do scholarships and athletic programs, a lot of our partners. And as mentioned earlier, we're on our sixth legacy gift right now, where we go to you know those neighborhoods that need a renovation. Parks have such a central theme in, in getting the kids in a safe environment and to help them play sports, not just football, but baseball, soccer, lacrosse. And we've done six. And uh, we're incredibly proud of that. Uh, we're about to build our, our sixth one at Mitchellmore Park, which is next to Pompano Ely High School here in South Florida, which is one of the great feeder programs to college football. Patrick Peterson went there, and uh, it's just a great thing to do. It's a lasting legacy, and uh, we get to partner with our, our city and county partners here in South Florida, so it's really special.
0: The Orange Bowl is once again a, a CFP semifinal this year, and Hard Rock Stadium hosted the CFP National Championship game last year. Plus, you've been a CFP semifinal two other times. I mean, to me, it just feels right when a big bowl season game is played in South Florida. Uh, last year was obviously a challenge with limited capacity, but, but this year you're going to have a full stadium again. How 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 much are you looking forward to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I think, across the bowl spectrum. Everybody's really looking forward to getting full capacity crowds in our buildings. You know, as mentioned earlier, I grew up here in South Florida. So I I went to Orange Bowl games as a kid. I I can't believe I work here and for 28 years for that matter. So I've seen, you know, what a big time event means to our community, whether it's, you know, in the college space, whether it's an NFL Super Bowls that come down here, whatever it may be, uh, we're looking forward to it. I mean, even last year, while not at full capacity, you know, it was just incredible to pull it off with the leadership of college football. To see so many bowl games that have games and for South Florida to have it down here to culminate the season was was special and now we're back to full capacities and you know Hard Rock Stadium is an incredible venue the Miami Dolphins have invested so much we got to thank Steve Ross and Tom Garfinkel for what they've done in transforming that venue it's a pretty unique uh, stadium uh, to play in and uh, you know hopefully knock on wood, the weather is what it usually is, which is you know, the best time of year to be in South Florida. And uh, yeah, we're excited about it each and every time you have that opportunity. We're excited when we have a traditional Capital One Orange Bowl game. Um, but it's going to be great, as you mentioned, to have full crowds, the energy that we missed so much last year.
0: We mentioned earlier, you're in your 28th year with the Orange Bowl committee. You have over uh, you've worked over 30 years in college athletics. When you look back at your career thus far, what stands out? Is there anything you're most proud of?
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure everybody comes to the same conclusion. It's the people, it's the the platform that we get to do each and every day. I mean, you know, when you're a kid growing up and you love sports and you couldn't imagine that your profession would be in this genre is pretty special, but you know, it's the people, you know, I, I've been a few places here 28, but before that, I was a few places before the University of Florida, the Blockbuster Bowl, uh, UNLV, and starting the Las Vegas Bowl, and here at the Orange Bowl. There's so many people that come around around and touch you, and you being one of them, Nick. I mean, you and I go way back to the Big East days, to the American, and now having you lead bowl season, it just means a lot to me. Um, you know, it's, it's a, a great industry. It's evolved, um, as we've gone through the evolution of what postseason college football has become, but, uh, I look forward to it. The, the colleagues here work with a lot of great people that have come and gone and done great things. And the people here now, uh, led by Anna Hernandez, our new COO, COO um, we have a great team and, and a great committee, you know, our committee is 380 strong and they really care about what's going on here and and they, they stand on the shoulders of the generations before them. So that's what I'm most proud of.
0: You know, you mentioned the relationships. I think that's one of the most special uh, things about working in the bowl industry, working in college athletics in general. In fact, Dave Lonstadt was our guest last week and he mentioned you specifically <laughs> and the lifelong friendship that he's, he's found with you. But, you know, to that point, I, I, Uh, Do you have any mentors that stand out in your mind uh, over the course of your career? And and what's some of the best advice you you received
3: from them uh, over that time? Yeah, yeah. well, I definitely have a few mentors that stand out. I mean, I went to the University of Florida. I worked as a basketball manager. I'm one of those guys that entered in, but I became very close with Jeremy Foley uh, when I was at the University of Florida. He was not the athletic director at the time, but he soon became one of the, the leading athletic directors in the country so he's he's been giving me counsel and advice all the way through my career Uh, my first job was with Richard Giannini and when we did the blockbuster bowl and uh, the executive director of that game was Keith Tribble who became my 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 uh, closest mentor And, and the two of them I still stay in touch with them Richard's obviously in the bowl industry doing the Bahamas Bowl and just love the guy I love Keith I stay in close touch as mentioned and uh but when it comes to advice, I, 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 there was an indelible moment for me is when Keith became the athletic director at the University of Central Florida. It was at the BCS meetings where he told our folks and, and within a day, I kind of knew I was gonna be given the opportunity. And as I was leaving this meeting, uh, your former boss and your mentor, uh, Mike Trangisi, pulled me aside and i'll never forget this because it was like a wow moment for me to have this opportunity and he said you know when i was at the big east you know um i I replaced the legend of all legends uh, dave Gavitt. and he told me this and i'm going to tell you this eric you're going to be stepping in the shoes of keith trouble and he's obviously a larger than life personality but you know what you just have to be yourself that's what got you there just be who you are you're not keith you're you. You have your strengths. You have your challenges, and just roll with it. And I always think of that because Keith was just incredibly, you know, infectious. Personality is gregarious, and I'm more of a, you know, grind it up guy and, and get things done in my own way. And uh, I really appreciated that because uh, the context of Dave Gabbett to Mike was a legend in his own right. Uh, really helped me, you know, leading into my job.
0: Well, you. You do a great job, Eric. Everybody knows that. You mentioned your committee of 380 people. I don't know if any bowl has a bigger uh, committee. I know many of your committee members, after all these years, they still like you. That (laughs) in and of itself says says a lot. It's hard to keep a group like that uh, together. Uh, But you you do an unbelievable job. The the college football playoff semifinal at the Capital One Orange Bowl is scheduled for Friday, December 31st at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. The game will be broadcast on ESPN. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Uh, You're the best. Uh, You continue to be a tremendous asset for the game of college football. Thanks for all you do for us and for being on the show. Good luck this bowl season.
3: Nick, thanks for all you do for bowl season. Thanks for the opportunity to be here today.
0: And thanks To all of you for listening to this week's Bowl Season Stories podcast, please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening.